Hi there. Welcome to a Little Wayward podcast coming out of St. Therese Institute of Faith and Mission. Um, today we're going to be uh, continuing uh, in a three-part series that we're doing for the podcast um, on uh, the dreaded D word, uh, discernment. Discernment. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, last podcast, um, we kind of broached the general topic of discernment. Um, where we talked about is general horizons. We talked about how there's three, like discernment always in, is in context of a call, and there's three general kinds of calls mm-hmm. that we discern. Um, there's the calling of God's general will to the universal call to holiness. There's the call of God's preferential will, which has to do with um, what does he want us to do in the here and now, mm-hmm. this moment, for this occupation, for um, what's the next move in my day. Uh, and then there's also um, the state of life will that he has. Like what particular state of life vocation is he actually calling you to? Uh, we then talked about a little bit of, about uh, discerning uh, desires and um, one's natural talents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also talked about uh, circumstances and other things like that. If all in any of that interests you, you can tune into the, to the last podcast. Previous one, yeah. 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 Which brings us up to speed, so... Uh, in the second section, we actually start to inter- introduce a little bit of some notions coming from St. Ignatius. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is not full-on Ignatian discernment of spirits, but the whole purpose of the Ignatian discernment of spirits is to have those practical tools about discerning God's will in the, mm-hmm. in the small and in the large. Um, so that's what we'll do in the next couple of sessions here. Um, and our teaching here is, is again, based on an article, uh, an excellent article in the subject. We've just adapted it for the use uh, with the students here, uh, called Some, Indi- Some Ignatian Principles for Making Prayerful Decisions by uh, Warren Sizoma, uh, who's a, a Jesuit himself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's always nice to, get, nice to get Ignatian discernment from a Jesuit. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they seem to know what they're talking they about do. in that case. So, of course, this coming from St. <laughs> Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, Nick, you teach... Church history and uh, lives of the saints. Tell us a little bit about St. Ignatius. Yeah, so St. Ignatius was a Spaniard um, of uh, typical Spanish passion. Um, he was born in 1491. What is typical Spanish passion, uh, Nick? Passionate. Just passionate. <laughs> Just passionate. Um, yeah, El, he, El fo- passion? El passion. <laughs> the passion. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I, I have lots of stories. I, uh, on the El Camino in Spain, I, I met a lot of Spaniards. And there's a, there's a general sense about the Spaniards. There's a lot of gusto and a lot of uh, bravado at times. And I, I really enjoy them quite a bit. But anyways, um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he was born in 1491, which is just a couple of years before Columbus discovered the New World. Um, this kind of uh, sets up a bit of the context for what Ignatius' uh, early childhood and upbringing was like. Um, this was a time of um, intellectual uh, discovery and, you know, discovery of new boundaries for the world. There was a lot of flux going on in the world at that time. And with a bit of flux also comes a bit of crisis and upheaval. He's also a key figure in the Catholic Counter-Reformation, um, or the Catholic Reformation is a more positive way to say it, uh, mm. around this time of uh, growing divide in Christendom with the Protestant Reformation and then the Catholic Reformation stemming from the Council of Trent. Um, he's a very pivotal figure as he's the founder of the Jesuit order, um, AKA the society of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, who are with us to this very day as, um, being some of the best and brightest in the church, as well as some of the best, um, evangelists as well. Uh, it's from the Jesuits. We get people like St. Francis Xavier, patron of the missions, Mm -hmm. um, co-patron with our little sister, St. Therese. Um, so yeah, I know, I don't know who'd win in an arm wrestle. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, 
Um, yeah, the, there's, a, there's a very real evangelizing charism there. So that kind of situates St. Ignatius as the father of this, um, this order. He was great friends with people like uh, St. Philip Neri and a couple other key uh, Catholic Reformation figures, and he was, uh, he was known by the Pope as well mm-hmm. in his time. Um, very interesting guy for his impact, but who was he is a good question because we often, there's something interesting about a spirituality. Um, whenever you're discussing a spirituality, you can't help but reference the founder mm-hmm. of that spirituality. When you're talking Benedictine spirituality, you talk about St. Benedict. Um, when you talk about uh, Nazareth family spirituality, you're going to talk a little bit about Catherine Doherty. Um, you know, Carmelite spirituality, well, there's like St. Teresa of Avila and there's going to be St. Teresa of Lisieux too. So too with Ignatian spirituality. We need to understand who St. Ignatius is. So St. Ignatius um, uh, was a typically passionate Spaniard, um, someone who had a lot of bravado and he was a very, um, he was a very um, honor-driven um, kind of worldly beginnings. Um, not necessarily totally problematic, but he was recounted one time for actually getting into a brawl in his local town in his youth. And the only reason why he might not have gotten jailed was because he had friends or family in high places. So it kind of sets up his temperament um, in the beginning. Um, eventually, in a battle, he actually had uh, both of his legs damaged by a cannonball. A uh, cannonball to the knee ends a bunch of adventuring there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went into the hospital. He actually reset his knee uh, and his leg in a rather painful rebreaking and sawing off of bones operation because uh, he was uh, a little uh, offended at some of the bones sticking out um, and thus ruining the shape of his legs for courtly tights. Um, you know, back in those days, you wore tights. Um, he was caught up in the whole uh, movement of chivalry and uh, yes. that kind of notion in the late Middle Ages. Eh? Oh, yes, definitely. And in mm-hmm. fact, that's kind of where and our as story... as a soldier and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So painting the picture of St. Ignatius as he's an incredibly like soldier-like, chivalrous, honorous kind of figure. Um, and this actually begins the uh, Ignatian discernment, um, where we actually see St. Ignatius discovering the principles of discernment. Um, so while he was waiting for his leg to heal, he was actually sitting in a hospital bed, and he was bored, as one is. One is uh, constantly uh, sitting for hours and on end, trying to figure out what to do. So he would ask for a bunch of uh, chivalrous, romantic uh, soldier knight tales to kind of have him... Uh, to kind of pass the time. And he would read these, he'd get very excited, he'd fantasize about a lady or a damsel in distress and the knight in shining armor, you know, kind of coming up and stuff. But he found after a while that he felt very hollow. Even after it was so fantastic, the experience of thinking himself as a shining knight, he felt hollow afterwards and he was more depressed than anything else. So then there was only really uh, another couple books around and those were like the lives of the saints. Um, so he would read about St. Francis of Assisi, um, Thomas Aquinas, and quite a few others. And he would be filled with the same kind of enthusiasm. But this was an enthusiasm that didn't leave him hollow afterwards. It was one that actually made him peaceful, reinvigorated, and more passionate. So then he began to listen to these two sensations. And he realized that from what this was actually, the feelings he was actually getting from these books, he realized that maybe God was actually speaking to him in a form of calling. Um, so he actually ended up forsaking um, the chivalrous code of a knight and ended up taking on the chivalrous code of a knight in Christ. Um, so he banded together with a few brothers. He received an education. He founded an order. And then he reflected through um, on his experience of discerning 
his own path and realized that there was a very key opportunity for articulating principles of discernment based on discerning what he would call the spirits, the effects, mm-hmm. the signs of the good spirit and the signs of the bad spirit. Um, mainly to, through one's um, felt impressions, uh, emotions, and desires, and mm. stuff like that. This concept had been around for a while, but um, St. Ignatius actually articulates it in a way which is unique and uniquely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the general kind of um, maybe five-minute description. Origins of the whole thing. Origins of yeah. St. Ignatius and Ignatian discernment. Yeah. Excellent. So from there, and on that basis, uh, we have some basic underlying... Um, understandings that St. Uh, Saint Ignatius has about discernment. And the first one being that God does indeed communicate directly with, uh, with his creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to. He's not, and I say this with, uh, with the students when we're talking about discernment, it may feel like it's a little bit of uh, God playing cosmic hide-and-seek with us. Uh, but no, he wants us to discover uh, his will for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, he, he, he does so by inviting us to participate and cooperate uh, with with him in that, um, I was just reading the Holy Father's uh, letter on Saint Joseph. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, there's an interesting line in there which I think actually speaks into this. That so often we wish that God, uh, or we would hope that God, is speaking directly into often difficult circumstances. And um, Pope Francis reflecting on on Joseph and Mary and Jesus and why life seems so troubled. You know, uh, booking from. Uh, uh, Nazareth down to Bethlehem and then having to the, the flight to Egypt and waiting there why did God not deal more directly and the response was that God did deal directly hmm. with those problems God's direct involvement was St. Joseph <laughs> and what a cool notion so as I was reflecting on discernment it's like so often I could be wishing that God would intervene and do something greater, but realizing that actually perhaps my life is God's intervention in these circumstances, and he's inviting me to be attentive, to listen, and to be docile to the movement of the Holy Spirit, hmm. um, which actually makes discernment not only a great adventure, hmm. uh, but a great act of holiness because of the surrender and the responsiveness to God's grace. I just found that was a very interesting notion. Um, so recognizing, yeah, that God does communicate directly with each one of us in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, our souls, uh, through various interior movements, mm-hmm. uh, feelings, what, this thoughts, is the term desires. Term. Yeah, yeah. So the thoughts, the feelings, and desires, and it's important to recognize that you know thoughts, feelings, and desires are an important part of what it is to be human, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe one of the principal starting points for the process of discernment. Another underlying assumption is that holy desires, and you were alluding to this, holy desires come from God and His angels, mm-hmm. uh, while other desires that might be less than holy uh, come from uh, other sources, namely the human spirit, myself, or from uh, the enemy and the fallen angels. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, uh, to start to be able to discern the mm-hmm. spirits, hence discernment of spirits, as to where these, uh, these motions and movements, these feelings, these, uh, these desires, these wants, where are these coming from? And to get the feeling of it. So like Ignatius lying in bed and feeling excited and then hollow and let down or feeling built up and that's sustained. It was those movements that, uh, that we can actually start to experience as we're in the process of discernment and can be a clear mm-hmm. indication of what movement is coming from God as he shepherds us in our circumstances, in our lives and in our 
uh, discernment process mm-hmm. um, to the sheepfold that he wants us in. <laughs> yeah. There's two words that kind of are coming into my mind here um, when I'm reflecting on St. Ignatius' his, uh, first experience of the discernment of spirits is one, escapism, and two, inspiration. Hmm. Um, because I know in my experience, whenever I follow a desire that is of uh, the human spirit or the, the, the bad spirit, um, there is that hollow feeling afterwards, and it's usually after I've tried to escape or something like that. There's two forms of escape, which one must be clear about. There's a good escape or a good retreat into the fantasy world so as to return to reality. That's, uh, that's fine. Um, that's almost like escaping a jail cell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, there's nothing problematic about that. But there's another form of escape, which is just running from the situation at hand and not wanting to face truth, goodness, and beauty, seeing them yeah. as enemies. Yeah. Um, so escapism, I think, is often at the heart of um, escaping reality. Um, is often at the heart of what the the bad spirit wants to do. Yeah, and that can also be a, a, a reason for um, a lack of initiative, even, even engaging in a discernment process. Yes, yeah. yeah. A fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And this is often what will cause, like, even... Uh, we, there can be a passionate hatred of things holy or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's also sometimes um, almost this slouching or this meandering, mm-hmm. this like laziness. I think the word that the, the ancients used was acedia, mm-hmm. like this, like uh, the noonday devil as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think the enemy, and here we have this discernment of spirits, the, the enemy and the human spirit. So maybe the enemy would say, it's all about me mm-hmm. having that here. Whereas the human spirit might be, it's all about me. yeah i like that a lot (laughs) i saw one article one time the title was um slouching towards gomorrah Mm. um and i I thought that was a brilliant depiction of what i myself often experience you know sodom and gomorrah of course of course the Mm. old uh, biblical image Mm -hmm. you know this um this image of going back to the place of our sin which is ultimately our destruction but for, it's not this passion of going back and forth. It's actually more of this, you know, meh, whatever else, you know, yeah. slouching and kind of kicking stones as we go. So there's a call to actually be engaged in the whole process mm-hmm. and be excited. This is a great adventure. Yes. And uh, this discernment of spirits and the process of discerning God's will uh, is key. Um, and it can be an overwhelming thing to say, well, you know, I need to make a decision. Well, really what we're looking for is the signposts. And the signposts are, uh, which way is the Holy Spirit wind blowing? Mm-hmm. How do I raise my sails and set my sails so I can be actually moving uh, in the direction of God's grace? Mm-hmm. Uh, and learning to be able to, to read those winds. So the trick is really to figure out which one of these inner desires is moving, uh, moving in which way, and which, which spirit is it coming from. The good mm-hmm. spirit, that's what we want to cooperate with because God wants to reveal his will to us. Uh, if we're cooperative with that, or is it the, the human spirit, my fears, my anxieties, mm-hmm. that might be king, my laziness, um, or is it the enemy? Um, mm-hmm. And so this gives rise to, to some other observations that we would recognize. Uh, the first, something we mentioned last week, is that discernment is always between two or more goods. Yeah. And that's really important as one of these blinding flashes of the obvious, but <laughs> it's between goods. It's not a discernment between good and evil. We're always to avoid evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so it involves those goods. The second is that uh, it only makes sense, obviously, within the context of a personal relationship. Yes. Uh, and, that, and again, that's speaking to what we were talking about last week, so we don't need to embellish that too much more, other than to say, why am I bothering discerning if I'm not praying 
And mm -hmm. how can I pray unless I'm actually in an invested personal relationship? Yeah. yeah, why would we care about discerning the will of God if we don't really care about the will of God? Uh, or if we don't care about or God. Or if we're yeah. really not even trying to show up to that. If we're not trying to act in such a manner and be present, you know. Yeah. So um, I think that there's varying levels of discernment, of course, but I think that fundamental drive towards personal relationship is the first spark. Um, yep, and something that is repeated over and over and over by, uh, by the, the recent popes, uh, the importance of having a personal relationship with Christ, or as he says, as Christ says in the scriptures himself, abide in me. Mm -hmm. um, on John 15, as the, uh, uh, you know, the father's the vine dresser, Mm -hmm. uh, I am the vine, be the branches, be, be, be bound in me. So that, mm -hmm. that abiding in Christ is so necessary. I knew I saw a vine reference coming. <laughs> Did you? You felt that, felt that Yeah, you love that. citing that one, and that's okay. I do, I do. <laughs> it's, it, it's just so central to the Christian life. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, um, and it's important to recognize, too, as much as there is this struggle in the spiritual life and in the context of discernment, maybe just what we were saying before, is if God's not in the mix and it's not in the context of a personal relationship, we're really not talking about discernment. What we're talking about mm -hmm. is decision-making, in which case there's lots of great helps and aids for creative decision-making. Yeah. We're talking yeah. discernment. Right? Yeah. So it's that, that context of mature Christian relationship uh, with God, with the church, with my neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, and really seeking to, to know where to know and to love and to serve, uh, which means that there's going to be some opposition. So this is also in the context of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to realize. We talk about adventure and St. Ignatius being a soldier. There is a soldiering that happens just in the process of, of discernment and being actively engaged in that uh, because we are working to discern God's will. Uh, it in itself is a proclamation of the gospel and as such is going to be cooperating with God's grace, resisting uh, the, the wiles of the enemy, and hence it is spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. It's going to be advancing the kingdom of God and uh, yeah, putting the boots to the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> and that's something I really enjoy about St. Ignatius' terminology and such. Like, he's drawing on his previous experience of being a soldier, mm -hmm. and that's the way he views the world. And so it's a very, um, it's a very assertive um, vision, and um, I find that deeply attractive myself. But something else that's really good is uh, just how merciful it is as well. He's very firm. Um, and he's very stark about, you know, the dangers and stuff. But he's also got a certain moderation to things. And um, there's a lot of prudence um, in his discernment as well. And um, so it's like a spiritual warfare. Um, you know, it's the church militant. But sometimes we can turn into the church belligerent um, mm -hmm. if we're not careful when we focus on that. And I find St. Ignatius does a really good job of keeping centered and keeping the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And I, I love the notion of discernment of spirits with the Ignatian principles in the context of living the little way of St. Therese. Mm, they're very complementary. Um, extremely complementary. And you can see with the Ignatian principles, there is this very masculine um, yeah. uh, approach to it. And uh, that's powerful and beautiful. There's a very feminine approach to St. Therese in living the little way. And I mm -hmm. think that that can bring a beautiful balance to discernment. Uh, there are many people uh, that that kind of... Um, hmm, Soldiering idea will very much appeal to the whole, yeah. you know, fight against. And that's great. With the little way of St. Therese, there is that depth of receptivity, uh, of abandonment, of surrender, of recognizing the tender mercy of God. Um, and the Ignatian principles are not opposed to those at all, but are incredibly, totally. incredibly complementary. And in fact, the little way of St. Therese gives us a beautiful way for actually living, uh, living out a, a discerning life. 
Um, and interestingly, being a Jesuit, Pope Francis, of course, uh, is constantly coming back to discernment. discernment oh yeah, discernment. he's soaked in it. Um, yeah. His writings are just soaked in discernment of spirits and Ignatian terminology. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's very interesting that we have a pope who's bringing that to the forefront. So um, on that note of like uh, you know you talk about the masculine, you talk about the feminine, Saint Therese. Um, what would you? What are the first attitudes? That St. Ignatius brings to discernment. Yeah, and I think that this is where we can really uh, lean into St. Therese in the little way because these basic dispositions of heart that would be proposed for us in the process of Ignatian discernment um, actually resonate very deeply. They're hand in glove with uh, what have been called the psychological indicators of the little way. Brother Joseph Schmidt at Carmelite himself speaks about psychological indicators, these kind of road signs or or, uh, signposts that we are actually maintaining uh, walking the little way, these uh, these mindsets. Um, and you can see them very, very deeply embedded into these basic mindsets that are good for mm-hmm. Ignatian discernment. And there's three three parts that we'll be going over, this first part uh, in this session, and then the two next parts in the next session. But right now we talk about tuning into God. Yeah. Uh, these kind of necessary attitudes or personal dispositions of heart that are required for an authentic discernment of spirit. Mm-hmm. So what is the mindset and the heart set? Mm-hmm. Uh, that helps us. And, and again, this is where walking the little way, if we're walking the little way, basically we are walking a way that is in a constant open receptivity to discerning God's will. Mm-hmm. So I think that walking the little way is possibly one of the uh, simplest, not easiest, but simplest ways of being in a mode of discernment. Lord, what would you have me? What would you have me do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so seven personal dispositions that we would speak of for an authentic discernment process. The first one is openness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no point in trying to be receptive to something if there's not a basic openness to it. So being able to look and say, what are those blocks that are in my own heart that are uh, resisting God? Um, little tag phrases I use. So this is the whole notion of let go and let God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let go of control. Let God do it. Whatever attachments I have, uh, am I close-minded to the whole process? Am I close-minded to God? Uh, can I be open, open-minded, open-hearted, open-lifed uh, to what God? Uh, am I willing to surrender whatever attachments that I personally have, preferences that I would have, in order to really be open to God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, saying Ignatius is pretty radical in his, um, and I'm not saying radical in, a, in an extremist way. I'm thinking radical in terms of radix root mm. is what it is. He's very rooted, very deep on this uh, thing about rooting out attachments. Um, He talks about uh, promoting what's known as a holy indifference. Um, Just saying, wherever you will me to be, Lord, that's where I want to be. Um, And so, like, that can strike a lot of us, um, especially with our more modern culture, with its emphasis on Mm -hmm. self-reliance. That can strike us as being like, but I have a will, you Mm -hmm. know. I have... I have something to bring to the plate. Um, and, you know, I think the Christian sense is, yes, you have a will. <laughs> you were given it. <laughs> I have something to contribute to this whole I have process. something. It yeah. might be just a moldy piece of cheese, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I can yeah, bring yeah. something to this buffet. Reminding me of that, uh, that movie that we watch here, Meet the Robinsons. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're looking for clues. And, you know, I've got says, this stick. I've got, I've got this stick. Oh, yeah, you're picking up residue from the time-space gap. Well, with your time residue and my little stick... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much. Yeah, that's what, what we really have to contribute. And this is where openness is so important. And the next step, in fact, all of them, the, really the only thing that we have to contribute as a, as a great gift is the one gift that God has given us complete control over. And that is our will. Our will. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that willingness, uh, openness and willingness is what uh, one of the psychological, psychological indicators of the little way rather than willfulness. 
Mm-hmm. And that's yep. so important. Generosity is the next one. Uh, basically, I'm all in. Yeah. No. And you can't give 110%. I always kind of go, mm, when somebody says 110%, it's like, well, now you're kind of encroaching on God's territory because only he can give oh. more than that. I must annoy you a lot then. I use that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said a word. Um, no, you haven't. This but is just you know, the sense of, you know, I can give 100%. I can give everything that I possibly can. And even the 100% is going to be difficult. I'm just giving everything that I am able to. Mm. Um, Best effort. Yeah, and you were talking about, you know, the, our contribution, those little moldy, moldy loaves. It's, it's the multiplication of the loaves and fish, that miracle. Mm -hmm. I think the most important character in that story was the young lad who surrendered his lunch. He gave everything he had. Even in the midst of, like, how on earth is this going to feed thousands of people? doesn't matter. It's what I have, I offer it. So that generosity, letting go of conditions, uh, openness requires a generous spirit, uh, magnanimity. Mm. Uh, And putting no conditions on what God might be calling me to. If, If we are really saying, Lord, your will be done, then we mean Lord, let your will be done. Your will be done. I, I love the term magnanimity because it literally means greatness of soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and then St. Ignatius talks a little bit about uh, be, uh, avoiding being pusillanimous, <laughs> which is a fun term basically saying little-souled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a little-souled in the way of St. Therese, which is really, really good, which is just recognizing that before God I am so little. Um, but in the actual fact, by doing so, you become great yeah. in soul because... Your, your arms, your capacity for God grows and grows and grows and grows. And then this is just a giant reservoir, you know. And it's just, why would you be stuck with a little cup when you can have the ocean? Yeah. Um, whereas being pusillanimous is littleness in the sense of being cramped. Um, not having much room to breathe, being a little snarky. The image of like Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas Carol kind of comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of the key example of a, a bit of a pusillanimous soul. Mm. So um, that is one that is not very generous. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, this brings us to the third um, attitude, which is... In order to be generous and open, it requires a lot of courage. Yep. A lot of courage. Um, speaking of the Meet the Robinsons, one of the quotes that we have here a lot is keep moving forward. It takes mm-hmm. courage to keep moving forward. And again, the Holy Father's letter on St. Joseph, so beautiful, uh, but he speaks about that creative uh, courage, uh, mm. a courage that is uh, moved by love that is willing to find creative solutions to apparent difficulties. Mm. Um, and even the courage to not look at life as, as problems, as problematic, but as uh, a challenge. Mm-hmm. A uh, challenge, an opportunity. Yeah, because wherever there's a crisis or a decision to be made, we have to trust that the Lord's present. And so, therefore, there's no such thing as an unresolvable uh, problem. There's only an opportunity for growth. Yeah. And and so courage is absolutely essential. We have to be willing to give up control um, and and trustingly put ourselves and our decision uh, in God's hands and at God's disposal. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to recognize very simply that the gospel is risky business. Yes. Uh, there's very little that is safe. It reminds me of those words from the Narnia movie. You know? Yeah, yeah, those oft-overquoted, um, you yeah. know, uh, lion, uh, the lion, Aslan, you know. Is he a safe lion? No. no, safe. No, he's not safe. He's not tame, but he's good. He's good. <laughs> and that's the key is to recognize it's, this is about God's goodness mm. and responding to God's goodness, and it takes a lot of courage to respond to God's goodness. Those Mm -hmm. great fundamental fears that we have. What is God going to do to me and what is he going to ask me to do? (laughs) It may be a lot. And typically God does ask a lot. He asks us to give us our everything. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's in a good and fair exchange for his everything. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which definitely works out in our, the, to our if benefit. If we're going to look at this mathematically, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's everything for everything, but it's just a matter of the balance of everything. With yeah. my little stick, anyway, yeah. And your quantum and mechanics. Your... <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, for the courage, uh, and to be truly courageous, it requires this next disposition, which is uh, interior freedom. Mm-hmm. Again, one of these signposts of the little way, this psychological... Um, uh, indicator of the little way, inner freedom, meaning that there is nothing that is uh, making a necessity, that I don't have to uh, be one way or another. Um, inner mm. compulsions and whatnot uh, limit yeah. our freedom. Interior freedom means I, I, I could do this or this or this or this, and there's that ability then to really discern. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance of recognizing freedom, this is not the notion of the freedom of indifference. It doesn't not matter what I choose. It matters very much what I choose, but the freedom is to have the freedom to be able to choose that which God is pointing out to me. Yeah, I, I think it's good that you mentioned freedom of indifference, which is um, really just this thing of it doesn't matter what I choose so much, it's just a choice between contraries. Um, that's, you know, that, that deserves almost a podcast to itself to kind of talk about that distinction. Yeah, um, a good one. Holy indifference, um, I think, is actually precisely, it's caring very much where God puts you because this is where God's going to put you and you're only discerning goods, you're not discerning evils. Um, and it's really just recognizing I could serve you here, Lord, I could serve you here. Where do you want me most? Mm-hmm. It's um, that interesting juxtaposition between caring where God puts me, but not caring where God puts me. Mm, yeah. Basically, Lord, you can put me anywhere, and wherever you put me is where I want to be. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, caring, but not being attached. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like uh, in the article by uh, our, 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 our Jesuit friend here, um, he kind of mentions that, um, you know, if you place conditions upon God, um, you have to be, it's a bit of a weird spiritual space at times because like if you basically create a condition to God that I have to have uh, a dog, a cat, and this kind of big of a house, which is frankly a middle-class society kind of thing, uh, suddenly you've just limited an awful lot of possible callings. You've limited yourself from being possibly called to be a Mother Teresa type mm-hmm. or a Carthusian. Mm-hmm. You might not desire to be a Carthusian. You're probably not called to be a Carthusian. But, like, you know, who's to say that you might not be drawn there and that might not be your greatest happiness? Because where the Lord's will is for you, there is your greatest happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not see it in the moment as we're discerning. Exactly. It may look, you know, a little dire. And it comes back to the story we mentioned in the last podcast is you know, trust the trail maker mm-hmm. just step by step by step so uh, generosity courage and interior freedom a uh, big part of freedom is the freedom from fear mm. um, I, I, Crippling. I, I like to say that fear is a very bad counselor fear can be good yep. in certain places where it's preserving it but there's a lot of psychological fear which actually inhibits our freedom yeah and so we want to be cautious uh, I heard somebody once say listen to fear Pay attention to it, but be very careful not to be counseled by it. Mm. It's good to be aware yep. of and identify your fears, because then we can actually come and surrender those more deeply to God. And this is the whole point of inner healing. Mm. Uh, inner healing yep. brings us to inner freedom. Inner freedom allows us then to be very responsive to God. Mm-hmm. So again, one of those um, psychological indicators of the little way. Um, drawing from this interior freedom... Uh, then we're able to actually have deep prayerful reflection. Uh, mm-hmm. A little buzz phrase I sometimes throw out there is go vertical, go vertical, go vertical. And we think of Christ on the cross. We come and we, uh, we stand at the, at the foot of the cross and we hold everything up to him. I love that notion that all healing takes place at the foot of the cross. Or I think mm-hmm. it was Charles de Foucault who said, the works of God bloom at the foot of the cross. Mm. 
Um, so placing ourselves at the foot of the cross and having that prayerful reflection. Uh, we can't hear God's call if we're not listening to God, and we have to be willing to, to square with the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about radical being rooted. That's the most rooted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love uh, Hanser's and Balthazar's thing here because sometimes we think of um, Christ being too otherworldly or too thisworldly. You know, there's these two great dimensions of the cross. There's this vertical and there's this horizontal dimension. Mm. And sometimes we can emphasize the horizontal too much. Sometimes we can emphasize the vertical. But we have to hold these things in tension. Intention, we have all yeah. these horizontal concerns. And if we're not careful, we can suddenly be weighed down to earth, you know. Um, if we are too vertical, we're going to suddenly break that element of the cross, the horizontal, and then Christ's mission doesn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather, I just love Hanser's and Balthazar, who was a previous, uh, he was a part of the Jesuit order at one time, mm. which is interesting, um, where the cross is actually suspended in between heaven and earth, deeply rooted in earth, but deeply, profoundly pointed to heaven. Mm-hmm and encompassing all in between with the outstretching of Jesus Christ's arms. So I think prayer is actually to enter into the center of Christ's heart, which is probably right around the center of the cross, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's in that space, that sacred space, if you will, where all of a sudden all of our horizontal concerns will meet that vertical orientation and be transcended. Yeah, as T.S. Eliot, uh, the English poet, called the cross the still point in this turning world. Mm. So that, that center point, um, and I can't remember who it was that mentioned, where, where mystery intersects with history. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's a, a beautiful thing to recognize. That's a very personal thing. Yes, it's a salvation history thing, but my life is a part of salvation history. Your life is a part of salvation history. And so to recognize in the cross, it is where the mystery of Christ intersects with my own personal history, which is worked yeah. out in this constant ongoing discernment. So that deep prayerful reflection, um, which naturally leads us in this whole conversation about the, the cross, the vertical and the horizontal and, and, and standing in that tension, which in fact is no tension at all it's it's life Uh, it's about having one's priorities straight big time um that expression that the main thing is to keep the main thing Mm -hmm. the main thing (laughs) yeah well do i know what the main thing is and again coming to the cross and being uh being united with christ in the cross uh helps us to keep our priorities straight and that's going to be absolutely essential for discernment too Mm -hmm. and that prioritizing can only come through through prayer as a fruit of prayer um, all things have to be ordered towards uh, our life in God, uh, the love and service of God, and the love and service of the neighbor, um, and the vocation of love. Again, this deeply speaks about mm-hmm. Saint Teresa's call herself to to be love in the heart of the church. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of has a, a twofold dimension. Number one, there's that prayerful orientation of fostering the desire, the need for God above all things. Um, it also, I think, requires some practical. Um, discernment of what is my hierarchy of values? What do I value most in life? Um, even if God's at the top, what's next? Mm. You know, um, if God's at the top and then um, having the next available board game is above loving my wife, for example, then that's a, that's a bit of a, a, weird, a weird thing. You know, even if God is my supreme desire, I'm willing to pray all day, but then second, I'm not willing to spend time with my wife over playing a board game. And that's a key thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, the main thing is keep the main that's thing That's very personal thing. to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can sense that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's very, very important what you say. It's, you know, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, but the main thing is not the only thing. Exactly. Uh, the main thing is the main thing because it's like an anchor or, uh, mm. you know, a... Uh, 
a guiding star, orientation for all of the other aspects and parts of life. Exactly. It's like I like the way the the, the catechism talks about the Eucharist in this regard. Eucharist the is source, source and summit. And summit. Yeah. So in this case, um, the God is like the anchor and the waterfall. Mm. Um, his presence at the top flows down to all the other aspects and baptizes them, if you will. The image of the temple in the Old Testament with the flowing waters coming out of it uh, in Ezekiel comes to mind. But then he's also the deepest ground of our existence. He's the ground we stand on. He's the stability in a raging sea. So I think um, if we hold these two images in tension, we're going to find uh, a lot of uh, uh, reprioritization mm-hmm. in our life, which is good. And a big part of the reprioritization and, and uh, keeping, uh, uh, keeping the priority straight is to not confuse the ends with the means, which is our last, our last point mm-hmm. in discussion here. Um, and that means maintaining an eternal perspective, recognizing that all of the things of this world have been given us in order to help us love and serve and um, and be ordered and to order all things in this world uh, towards the next, mm-hmm. restoring things to Christ. So maintaining an eternal perspective. Uh, Cardinal Van Tan, the, uh, uh, the Vietnamese cardinal that was imprisoned for 13 years in solitary confinement mm. for nine of those years. Great story. Um, yeah, he, and he, he, does a, he mentions it beautifully in, the, in this very beautiful little book called Five Loaves and Two Fish. Uh, and one of those key points, these are key spiritual points for him. Uh, one of them is to not confuse God for the works of God. Mm. And it's amazing how, uh, how e- there can be a disorientation even in that. I can be so heavy on discernment where I really am thinking about the things of this world, not always in light of the next. And so mm. maybe that's kind of like the previous point about having priorities straight. Yeah. But it's a more of an eternal perspective on that. Yeah, and this actually kind of relates to something else St. Ignatius talks about, which is um, a kind of uh, seeing... Um, his consolations as means, uh, as works of God and as gifts, but not as God himself kind of thing. Um, I think it kind of connects there because um, if you're constantly searching after the next spiritual high, um, the reason why God actually gives consolation is, yes, to affirm, like, it's good to feel good. Um, like God wants us to feel good. Um, but he gives us these feelings also to prepare us for something coming. You know, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, a soldier gets rations and food and warm shelter and clothing most often before a big march or something like that. Something to be like, stock up now, build up your strength and your Mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to war tomorrow. Mm. And then that's an entry into desolation, Mm. um, as uh, St. Ignatius would say. So in that case, like if we're constant, if we actually see these works of God in our lives as being the thing where we ought to reside all the time, we're actually going to miss out on that adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, where he's just like, "Oh dear, what would I not give for a new set of handkerchiefs and you know a nice cozy fire in my little Hobbit hole?" Um, and it's just like it's an interesting thing because we all recognize that in ourselves, and there's actually something very charming about it. And I think there's a nostalgia. Sure. There too. But on the other hand, there's also the flip side of, um, you know, maybe Bilbo Baggins, this was meant to prepare you. Yeah. Um, maybe this is where you drew deeply into 
a sense of um, the extraordinary and the ordinary, and now you're out on an adventure, and this is supposed to be your talisman to the future. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, as you're mentioning this, it's calling to mind, it's a silly little thing, but, you know, uh, Veggie Tales. <laughs> of course. You know, yeah. That, that uh, you know, the people Israel, and I remember, I hear in my, in my mind the, uh, the voice of Pa Grape, you know, and, the, oh, yes. and everybody's pining for, you know, Egypt again. He said, but you were in it's slavery. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we lose sight of the obvious thing. It's like, yeah, again, our priorities aren't straight. And this can really cloud discernment. And it kind of brings us all the way back to the very beginning. Are we really open? Have we surrendered mm-hmm. our attachments? Or in the midst of a challenging process of discernment, and it can be challenging, um, in the midst of the challenging, are we, are we pining for what we had before and we're clinging to silly things like mm-hmm. pocket handkerchiefs and a warm fire, mm-hmm. which can be an element of a good nostalgia, but it can also be an intrusive nostalgia. And sometimes we need that, yeah, that yeah. shock of reality of like, you were in slavery. You know, was this was this peace? Was this truly mm. serving God, or are you clinging to, you know, creature comforts and consolations? Mm. So really, yeah. it comes down to whose will are we wanting to do? What are we in the process of discernment, and and are we really open? Are we really being uh, generous? Are we being courageous? Mm-hmm. Are we grounding ourselves in that deep, uh, deep prayerful reflection with that disposition of interior freedom? Are we willing mm. to recognize our fears? And to leave those at the at the foot of the cross, so we can truly be responsive to God, mm-hmm. having the priority straight, having an eternal perspective. And then what I would add in here, and it's not even on our sheets that we're following here, but what I would add in is uh, what Brother Joseph Schmidt uh, identifies as the 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 last uh, psych- of the psychological indicators uh, that he mentions. And I think it's very helpful, especially when discernment gets challenging. And discernment is challenging, especially mm-hmm. when we're facing big decisions or big asks that God may be making. And that is gratitude. Mm. Gratitude, major, major always. always. As we say. Um, as we, yeah. <laughs> it's just the recognition that if I can recognize the blessings that God has bestowed upon me in the macro and the micro. So mm. that's everything from you know, a good cup of coffee, mm-hmm. glory be to Jesus, <laughs> to look how he has been faithful in my life over these past several years. Mm. All of these things. Uh, if I can have that disposition of gratitude, that helps to foster that openness and the courage and the prioritizing of, of, of things in the right way, um, the interior freedom. I mm-hmm. can truly let God be God. So I would say gratitude and, and constant thankfulness for how mm-hmm. God is, is blessing and his promise. Because even the word of God that is spoken in promise is an effective word, the Debar Yahweh. It, it accomplishes what it says. So God's promise, which we respond to in hope, is a proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And this is very much uh, that, that basic proclamation that, that Jesus had at the very beginning. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. We live in that kingdom now and yet to come. <laughs> it's the now and then. Um, so you know, those, with these dispositions of heart, uh, we, can, uh, we can really uh, move forward in, in, uh, in, in good discernment and with confidence in good discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that's... Um all of those uh, those attitudes, those dispositions, you said, are, are quite uh, quite summarizing of Ignatius's main thrust, you know. Um, and so that was um, that was part one of three of of looking into Ignatian guidelines for the discernment of spirits, tuning into God. Um, in the next session that we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit more about discerning 
uh, feelings and the conditions for our decisions, and then we'll talk about various practical steps. It's a bit more of the practical stuff. So these next yeah. two steps is a sense of, all right, well, what is my disposition of heart? What am I feeling in the midst of, of mm -hmm. a discernment process? And so St. Ignatius speaks about three modes of discernment, three times. So it's very much looking at, all right, these are my circumstances, uh, as we were saying the last time, like that road map with the arrow pointing to the star saying, you are here. <laughs> yes. Uh, knowing yeah. where we're beginning in the process of discernment is helpful. And then having some very practical tools to say, all right, how do we get mm -hmm. busy and seeing, all right, Lord, what is your will in this? Uh, we'll look at that next time. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you very much, Jim, for sharing your wisdom and all yeah. of this. And, Thank you, uh, Nick. This is, this is fun. I love talking about this stuff. And more importantly than talking about it is I love seeing the fruit of discernment uh, in the lives. It's so cool. It's of so disciples cool. of Christ, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, nothing, there's actually nothing more gratifying than seeing someone take these up, um, either get excited or even pass over them, and then like a month or two later, seeing a student actually come up and say, actually, that was big, yeah. you know? Yeah. And suddenly, you know, you see them going and making big choices in their lives, and, you know, you realize you're seeing the fruits, you know? Um, and uh, I think a lot of this stuff has been life-saving for myself and mm. for you as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I actually remember in the moment to be uh, grateful. Um, actually, I really appreciated your point on gratitude because for me, it's just an affirmation of God's presence and his loving providence. And for mm. me, it's an act of hope, you know, to give thanks in all Absolutely. circumstances. Yeah, especially when you might feel least like it. Oh, yeah. Uh, or when the fears are really looming large, or the hesitations. Absolutely. And you're mentioning about seeing the fruitfulness of the process of discernment and lives of the students. I personally find, thing, find that experience incredibly humbling and incredibly convicting as well. Because mm. it's easy, as you probably know well yourself, it's easy to teach this stuff. Not so easy to live it, <laughs> yeah. and it's very easy for us to forget these things. And so to see the fruitfulness of beautiful processes of discernment, even if it's a little bit clunky and clumsy at times, mm -hmm. but to see the fruit of it, um, I find incredibly, uh, again, convicting and humbling and edifying. And I find myself encouraged in my own journey of ongoing discernment, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, so. I, uh, I agree 100% there. See, I didn't do the 110% thing. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> nice catch. I curbed myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you to everyone uh, tuning into this episode of A Little Wayward Podcast. Mm -hmm. This has been part two of three on yep. a mini discernment series um, coming out of St. Therese Institute. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll finish this off and um, see where we go from there. Indeed. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jim. Oh, you're welcome.